Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> There's joy in the house of the Lord this morning. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so much fun, so much fun. It's good to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Heather Gelad. I get to be one of the pastors here at Cannon Church. It is a holiday weekend. It's Father's Day weekend. Yay, shout out to all the, all the kinds of fathers out there uh, today in the room and online and at the Sheridan. We are so grateful that we get to worship together today. It's also the weekend where we celebrate Juneteenth, which is um, the time when the last people in this country were emancipated. Um, the last enslaved people were emancipated in 1865, is not that long ago, and, um, and where we cry, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, um, a celebration that, that happens tomorrow. We are working our way through this summer and this series, Wish You Were Here. Wish you were here. We're talking about all of the places that we go and spend time over the the course of this season and the places where God is already. The places where God is already. Pastor Tim is away with his family this weekend, an extended family. You may have seen Bendy Jesus in some um, unexpected places online. We've been posting pictures online of all of the places that we are, that Jesus is with us. Uh, Jesus was hanging out at a lacrosse tournament yesterday in Baltimore. There is a a lacrosse tournament today that the Emmett family is at, and Jesus was seen at the chapel at Duke Divinity School, so pretty cool. Jesus Jesus has been seen in a lot of places, and if you didn't get your uh, Bendy Jesus yet, we have some more as you exit today. Pick up Bendy Jesus, post some pictures online, hashtag it, wish you were here, Canon. We're collecting pictures so that we can see all the places that we go this summer and all of the places that God is already. So as we prepare to open God's word together today, we've been talking about the places of God and the people of God. We talked about gardens last week. If you didn't guess it already, we're talking about mountains this week. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give thanks that wherever we go, you are already there. Make us ever mindful of your presence and your power and your peace that passes understanding as we gather together today to worship you. You are why we are here. We are here to worship you. So we pray as we open your word that you have given to us. The word that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written, that that same Spirit would interpret these words for us, your people, today. It's in Christ's name that we pray it. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. Well, uh, I I, want to invite you to turn to one of your neighbors and tell them very briefly, very briefly, um, the first story that you can think of in the Bible that features a mountain, or maybe a name of a mountain in the Bible. Go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. All right, now turn to the other neighbor that you ignored the first time. Tell him I'm so sorry. (laughs) And tell them maybe a mountaintop experience that you had this week. What's a mountaintop experience? Sometimes those are little mountaintops, but we give thanks to God for those. 
Turn to your other neighbor and tell them that mountaintop experience this week. (laughs) One of the things I'm celebrating this week certainly is VBS and the families and the children that we had, the volunteers that it took to make that happen. I'm celebrating our sixth month of the the dinner church over at the Southeast Gwinnett Co-op. Wonderful celebrations, mountaintop moments this week uh, to be sure. There are a lot of places in Scripture that we read of mountains and mountaintops. Um, the ones that I think of right off the top of my head, don't, I don't know why, but I always think of um, Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses when Joshua is down fighting the Amalekites. Anybody familiar with that? That's in, in the Exodus story. Um, of course, most of us think of the, the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. Um, <clears throat> But today, uh, today, um, we're, we're going to be talking about Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel, uh, as, as Anthony shared. Many stories about mountains in the Bible, and not all places of wonderful experiences, but certainly places of vision and perspective, right? When you get up on that high place, you see things a little bit differently, places of vision and perspective. They can be places, frankly, where we get our heads stuck in the clouds and we don't want to come back down. Um, I might have been guilty of that a time or two, but often these are places of um, kind of defining moments, right? It could be the, the culmination of something. It could be the beginning of something. It can be a place of, of clarity, But often these are places where defining moments happen. For Elijah, Mount Carmel was all of those things, all of those things wrapped up in one. So to kind of set up where we're going to meet God in Scripture today, where we're going to meet Elijah in Scripture today, um, Elijah was a prophet, a prophet of Israel, a prophet of God. Um, during the time of King Ahab. And Ahab is um, said, is, is titled in Scripture as, as one of the most evil kings. In fact, it says that he, along with all of these other kings that did evil, it says that Ahab did more evil than all of the kings before him. Ahab did more evil than all of the kings before him. So what happens is Elijah comes to Ahab and he says, there will be a drought And it will only be by my word that it rains again. And then God instructs Elijah to basically go hide. So Elijah is gone and he's hiding out for three years. And famine has come across the land. So so understandably, Ahab is hunting for Elijah. Where are you, Elijah? You told me three years ago that it was only by your word that it would rain again, and now famine, there's all of these, this collateral damage that's happening as a result of this prophecy that, that Elijah has shared with Ahab. So three years later, God tells Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine being Elijah three years later, and Ahab is hunting for me. But he goes, and along the way runs into Obadiah. Obadiah is, um, is a, the palace administrator. He is a faithful Jew. He's a faithful follower of God. He runs into Elijah, and he has great relief because Ahab has sent Obadiah looking for Elijah, and Obadiah says, you know, Elijah tells Obadiah, go back and tell Ahab I'm here. I'm coming to see him. 
And, Ahab, and Obadiah is so concerned that, that suddenly Elijah's going to disappear. He fears for his own life because that's just how evil Ahab was. But what happens is he goes and he tells Ahab, yes, indeed, I have found Elijah and he is coming. And that's where we pick up at 1 Kings 18, verses 20 to 39. Hear this God's word. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sayas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He 
is God. This is God's word for us, God's people. And we say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So yes, I have, um, in my own uh, words, said, titled this passage of Scripture, The Showdown Throwdown. <laughs> the showdown throwdown between the Baal prophets and God. But truly what is demonstrated in this passage of Scripture is the power of God and the presence of God in Elijah's participation and preparation. And I think certainly outlines um, a place for us to connect with what God wants us to know about the presence of God and the power of God in our own preparation and participation. You like all that alliteration? I've got five Ps total. (laughs) Hey, even lady preachers can use alliteration. (laughs) You you might understand what I'm talking about, but I won't go into detail there. So preparation and persistence, because no one gets to the top of a mountain without preparing, without preparing first. Things that happen to get us to that point, whether it be a mountaintop experience or a mountain that is seemingly in front of us that cannot be moved or seemingly cannot be moved, there are things that happen before the mountain appears or before we are on top of the mountain. So I thought I would consult with a mountain climber as to what I needed to know about preparing to climb a mountain. So on on New New Zealander Anita Hendreka's blog, Mountain Climbing for Beginners or Dummies, maybe, I don't know, (laughs) there are five steps that we need to take to prepare. And the first one, before she says, she lists her first one, she says, make sure you have travel insurance. Okay. (laughs) The first thing she says is to research the mountain. Uh, One of the most important aspects of how to prepare to climb a mountain is to do your research and to know what you're in for. I would say instead that we need to know our God, that we need to do our research and know what we're in for. Because Elijah did not get to this point of the throwdown showdown without knowing who God was and what God was capable of. There was a a relationship that preceded this moment that had been tested and tried. Elijah knew what he was in for. The second thing she says is do an orientation. Before you start your trek, be sure to attend an orientation. This is preparing for mountain climbing 101. You might say that the community of faith, the community of God's people, can be a place of orientation, where we learn from those who have gone before us, where we're able to talk about the wisdom of the faith of years of relationship with God, where we can consult with, I hate to call us experts, but at least practitioners of whatever this is. Prepare by consulting and intending an orientation, a life lived. The third thing that she says is train for the climb. You may already be a seasoned hiker, she says, but mountain climbing is something else. So do the work and find out how to train for mountain climbing. I would liken this to our experiences of God along the way. 
Our faith is meant to be not just a mental ascent or something that we know, but a, a knowing and a being known by God. A knowing and being known by the community of faith. Other people that are seeking to follow God with their lives. It takes practice. It takes experiential learning. It's the field trip, if you will. And then coming back to the community of faith to seek wisdom and guidance for the next leg of the journey together. Train for the climb. You got to do the work. The next thing she says is pack your essentials. Hopefully, you're already aware that you require certain items for when you hike, and mountaineering is no different. If you want to go mountain climbing, you will need to know which things to bring in the mountain on the mountain climb for both safety and success. Familiarize yourself with these people in places of the faith, these experiences of what it looks like to live in faith, to take God on God's word, and to act accordingly, to respond accordingly. This is where the real muscles of our faith are built so that we can ascend the mountain, so that we are prepared for the showdown, throwdowns in our own life, whatever those might look like, whatever those might look like. The next thing, we talked about preparation. Let's talk about the presence. The presence. Anybody read uh, Into Thin Air? I remember when I read it years ago about the um, John Krakauer and um, climbing uh, Mount Everest and that whole experience. I was, I was so inspired by that book. So, and were you? <laughs> I was so inspired by, the book, by that book. I was like, I'm going to climb Mount Everest one day. <sighs> Not so much now, but... <laughs> But one of the things that is a shared experience of many, many people who have climbed Everest and other, um, this, is, this is the highest place on the planet, right? But other um, high mountains, other, traversed other traumatic experiences or had these, these moments of trauma, life and death situations. They describe what's called the third man syndrome. You guys heard about this? This inexplicable presence that's suddenly there when they know there is no one else there. This inexplicable presence that leads them, that guides them, that speaks to them, that encourages them. You and I both know what presence that is. That is a a presence of God. Being aware of the presence of God in all of the places that we go is the beginning of of practicing the presence of God, being aware of the presence of God, so that when these situations happen, that we know that that voice is there leading and guiding us, encouraging us, that we are not alone, that we are not alone. The next thing that I want you to hear in this story is about the power. There is certainly a demonstration of power in this story. In case you weren't keeping score, there are 450 Baal prophets, and there is one Elijah. There is dry wood on the Baal prophet's side, and there is soaked wood. Not one time, but three times. Not with one jar, but four jars each time. 
Here also are reminders of God's presence with us as, as he stacks these 12 stones, reminders of, of God's promise to the people of God, to Israel, to the 12 tribes, reminders of the presence of God in the midst of this showdown, throwdown. It was not about Elijah and what Elijah was capable of. It was all about building an altar to God so that God's power that was undeniable could be on display in this showdown with the Baal prophets. Elijah, there was no mistake, was not responsible for this power, but it was God. It was God. This is an illustration of Elijah's faith, to be sure, the certainty, the confidence. And it wasn't just a uh, a simple yes. It wasn't just a simple act. It was years of relationship and experience with God, relying on God, seeing God carry him through some not-so-favorable circumstances, and yet God was in the midst of it. God was in the midst of it. A confidence in, in God's power. He makes sure of it. Remember, there is literal thirst in the land. There has been a drought for three years. And Elijah is extravagant and essentially pouring 12 jars of water on this wood to make sure it's so soaked that it cannot be lit except by the power of God. Except by the power of God. In an impossible, against all odds, to be sure, situation, even when it didn't make sense, my goodness, I cannot imagine the anxiety and the nerves on that mountaintop. When it didn't make sense, God is there. Remember who and whose you are. Build an altar. And this this showdown, throwdown, the real idols are revealed. Oftentimes, we're looking to things or people to provide for us things that only God can provide. This Baal that they were worshiping was a, a, an agrarian. He was a god of, of the weather. They relied on him for, for rain. And they do this big, extravagant display, and yet this idol does not deliver this idol that they can't have a relationship with doesn't deliver. God does. And ultimately, as a result, this hated and hunted Elijah becomes a hero. He becomes a hero. The idols are revealed and hearts are turned back to God as a result of the faith that is on display and the power of God that meets Elijah in that faith. The last thing is participation, because God could have done all of this, and he didn't need Elijah for that. God is able, but he asked Elijah to be a part of what he was doing, because he wanted to bring glory to himself. He wanted to turn these people's hearts back to him. See, these people were hedging their bets, like, I'll have a little bit of God, and I'll have a little bit of Baal, and we'll just hopefully hedge our bets, and it'll all work out for us. God was having none of that. Well, we can be guilty of the same. I'll have a little bit of this and a little bit of God. I'll rely on this, and I'll rely on God. When God wants all of us, all of our hearts, all of our lives, everything 
in us, God wants. God wants. And God would stop at nothing. God would stop at nothing that our hearts would turn back to him. God could have done all of it without Elijah, but he asked Elijah to be a part of what he was doing. And Elijah was faithful. Yes, he was exhausted. And yes, if you read a little more about his story, he was incredibly disappointed in his fellow Israelites. But he was faithful. He was faithful. Our invitations are to recognize the God that is already there, to point to the God that is already there in all of the places that we are, all of the places that we are, so that others might come to know this God that loves them, has made them for a purpose, on purpose, and wants to be in relationship with them. The result is worship. Our invitations to recognize and point to God's presence and partner with God is where the revelation happens. For these folks, for folks that are far from God, for people who do not know that they are loved by God, all people are loved by God, whether they're in this room, outside these doors, Whatever, wherever they are, all people are loved by God and we're called to point to the goodness of God and the presence of God and the grace of God in every place that we go. The result is worship. The result is a people who fall prostrate on the ground and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. May we be found as faithful as Elijah, as God is faithful to us. Let's pray together. God, you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. May we be full of faith. May we do the preparation. May we recognize your presence and your power your invitations to participate in what you are doing so that the world might know who you are, that the world might know that they are loved, that they are made for a relationship with you, that that your glory would be revealed and that we might glorify you. God, fill us with faith and forgive us the times when you have been faithful and we have been faithless. Let us spur one another on to faith and good works. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424.